Hey, greetings everyone. This is Eric Stewart from Fishing Fanatics, and I'm super excited today because I have John Murray on the line, who is a major, major league bass fishing professional who won 31 fully rigged bass boats, which I can't even wrap my head around that, how insane that sounds, but we'll jump into that a little bit later on. And he's also a bass guide at Watts Bar Lake. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm happy to have you here, and it, I like starting off these podcasts with kind of this base question. Um, a lot of you know professional bass fishermen I've had on this podcast, and I always ask them, what got you into the professional bass fishing? Was it colleges? Um, was it just local tournaments and that kind of stuff? And then what mentors helped you along the way when you were trying to figure out that path for yourself? Well, it is funny. I, I was way before the college, high school, all that stuff. But I started fishing bass tournaments when I was in high school. Actually, eighth grade year, I fished my first bass tournament. Um, fishing full-time through high school and college, um, was not it was not a career path because there wasn't a professional fisherman as long ago as i was doing it i would fish tournaments during the week you know we'd have tuesday wednesday friday saturday tournaments and then i do seminars and i do a little bit of guiding and that's how i became a professional fisherman i i told my parents i'd go to college i went two years and after my second year i got my double a degree i uh i was making more money than they were as teachers, they were both teachers. And I said, I'm going to follow this fishing thing as long as it goes. And I can always go back, get my, finish my four-year degree. And I just never went back. So that was 40 some years ago. And, uh, man, it's been a crazy, crazy evolution ever since, but yeah, little tournaments. I fished against men. You know, I didn't, I was a kid. You fished against men back then. You didn't, you didn't have the high school stuff. So with a little change of backgrounds, but that's fine. We're back. Um, John, I just wanted to get your point of view. What's the biggest changes or the changes you've seen over the years from 40 years of professional bass fishermen from when you started to now? Well, I think it's the really the amount of information. You can use so much information so quick now about bass fishing that you couldn't. You know, 20, 30 years ago, I was teaching classes at the community colleges uh, in Arizona, and they were all big classes, now on credit classes, about bass fishing. And that was the only way you could get information, how to fish, you know, how lures to use all that stuff. And, and now, man, you don't, you can turn on YouTube or get on a podcast, get anywhere you want on the internet and you can learn all you want about bass fishing. So it's just really the amount of information that's out there and available to a guy that wants to start bass fishing. Uh, it's all there to, for the taking. I love it. Just consume content after content of fishing videos. I do. I, I live on YouTube, right? And so do a lot of young kids like me and a lot of professional bass fishermen too. But the, um, how about any changes in like electronics too? Cause I know live scope's a big thing now. And is that something that you incorporated on your boat um, now bass fishing, or is that something you kind of steer away from? No, you have to stay up with the latest trends, no matter what they are. Uh, I was one of the first guys to have the Garmin pan optics and I, I used it a little, but you know, coming from a, a, a background of learning to intuitively fish and, look at the water conditions and, and, you know, make judges based on conditions. I didn't use it a lot, you know, and I think in the last two years it's shown, if you don't use that tool, that forward facing sonar, you're going to be left in the dirt. So I got the best out there, you know, and, and I, I play with a lot, but I still, that's still not my focus when I fish, I'm still looking around and making decisions based on other things. And some of the young guys that have grown up with it, uh, they, I mean, they just, they don't look at anything else. They look at the, the, the unit. So you really do have to stay abreast with that stuff. It's changed fishing incredibly. It's more about information gathering now than it is about an intuition and thinking about stuff. 
So, uh, yeah, if you don't stay up on the current stuff, you're going to be left behind. I shout out to that dude. And I, I have to note this cause I said it in the intro and thir you won 31 fully rigged bass boats in tournament competition. Um, that is mind boggling to me. So just explain a little bit to our listeners, um, how, you, how would that kind of came to be and over th 40 years of bass fishing, like how did that even happen? Well, when I started fishing in, in Arizona and originally, um, I didn't fish just in Arizona. I fished the West coast. So I'd fish from New Mexico, all the way through Arizona, up through California, all the way up to Washington, fish Columbia River. And so I would just, there, I didn't really worry about schedules and circuits. I'd just fish for money. Uh, we didn't have a lot of big sponsors then. It wasn't really expensive to fish back then. You know, boats were 20, 25,000, trucks were about the same. Um, it wasn't like it is now as far as prices. Uh, gas prices were way cheaper, obviously. And so I would travel around the country and find these tournaments that, you know, they give a first place as a boat. And that was a big thing back then because a, a promoter could could advertise he's paying out a $25,000 boat and he'd pay 10 or 12,000 from the, the sponsor from it. And then he'd take that 12 or 13,000, put it in his pocket. So fishing for boats became what you did in the West coast. And so it started, you know, as just sort of fun. I wanted to win a bass boat and that, you know, I think I was, I think I was 20 when I won my first bass boat. And then, you know, it just sort of rolled after that and it got crazy. I mean, I won eight boats in one 13 months spell. One time I won four boats in a month. Um, they give them for angler of the year. They give them for first place in tournaments. So a couple of them, they give like Bassmasters back in the day had three boats, a boat first, second, and third. So if you got any of those, you'd get a boat. So, I mean, there was, that's where the money was winning boats. So yeah, winning 31 over my career. It was all in the West Coast. They don't have that anymore. There's just not that kind of, you only can fish for a couple boats anywhere in the country anymore for as a professional. It's all cash, which is good. The cash is easier. Uh, you lost a lot of money on those boats. They say it's worth 25 grand and you take 18,000 or whatever if a guy had it, you know. Um, but it was uh, a lot of fun. Um, had some fun stories with it. You know, you, you're at a tournament with a boat and truck and you win a boat, physical boat. Well, you got to figure out, hey, it's yours. You got to take it, you know. So you have a buddy, you know, someone in the crowd. Hey, can you drive it over to this dealer? It was crazy, but it was a lot of fun. And that was the way it was fishing back when I started fishing. I believe it, man. Do you still have any of those boats that you want or did you kind of get rid of them? You sold them all off. Yeah, they, they. I never used one of them. I mean, I knew the minute you used one, it went to a used boat. And you're going to lose another five grand. And I always had a brand new boat. I usually I used to keep two boats and two trucks when I lived in the West. So I'd have one I'd fish in California and Arizona and I'd have one for Northern California and up into Oregon and stuff. So, I mean, I, I had two plenty of boats. I, it was not, I was part of my contracts with fishing back then was two boats. So I'd have plenty, but uh, yeah, I never used one, never, never kept one. Um, and uh, I, I know where a couple of them are still, but they're, uh, I don't know where very many of them are left. John, I gotta tell you, I wish I was in your shoes back then as like right now, because we just cracked the hole in our boat and it's getting looked at right now. And I am itching to get back out there on the water, even though it's a little cold out here. It's one of those things. It's like when you have a boat and it's fully functional and you can go out every day or every weekend after work and just hit the water. And then when that's taken away from me, it's like, you're almost like missing a part of yourself. It's like, oh, this sucks. It's horrible. I, I live on Lake. I live on Watts Bar Lakes right behind me here. And, and now we, you know, it takes so much to get a new boat that you sell your boat about October, November, 
new boats don't come in till December, January, sometimes even February. So I've been out of a boat living on a lake for, you know, a couple months. And it just, yeah, it, you take for granted having a boat ready to go when you got, got nothing. You just look at the lake longingly and go, man, I wish I was out there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so it, it is, yeah, I know your pain and it's, it's not cheap to get them fixed. So, I mean, it's, it's everything about a boat anymore. Is so expensive. It's just a total, total different world. It is. And you kind of hit it on it there with the uh, Watts Bar Lake. Tell me a little bit about that lake um, specifically, because I was look I'd never been there. I was looking on Google Maps and it looks like an absolute beautiful lake. So tell me a little bit about that. And I know you got a guide service down there too. Yeah, Waspar is the lake above Lake Chickamauga. So anybody that bass fishes, you know, has heard of Lake Chickamauga in Tennessee. It's on the Tennessee River. Uh, and it's, it's one of the most famous ones. And a couple down is Gunnersville. I mean, there's some beautiful big lakes on, on Tennessee River. The one above Chickamauga is called Watts Bar. It's way bigger than Chickamauga. It extends, has three big rivers, has all three species, got spots, large mouse and small mouse. Um, it, it, it doesn't have the size that Chickamauga doesn't have the Florida bass size. You don't catch eight and 10 pounders out of here like you do Chickamauga, which is 15 minutes away, but it's, it's, it's quiet. So when people come down here, they usually go to Chickamauga and, and not a lot of guys go to Watts Bar. It's, it's a good fishery, but it's not a great fishery. You know, it, you'll catch some good fish. You can catch some big small mouse here, but it's not a place where you're going to catch an eight or 10 pound bass. So I started my guide trip my guide service i guided for years in arizona here you had to get a captain's license so i got my captain's license and now i'm a guide on watts bar just because there's a there is a lot of call for people come into knoxville come into chattanooga it's, it's a it's a hub of area people come down and they want to fish and they want to catch fish you go to watts bar if you want to go try to catch a big fish and be in a bunch of crowds and a lot of people you go to chickamauga and i guide on both legs but i really prefer watts bar because it's quiet I, I had a guide trip yesterday and literally, we're the only boat in the parking lot. Literally, we saw one other boat way up the lake all day long. It was a decent day. We caught some nice smallmouth. I mean, you just had your own private lake. It's beautiful. There's there's nothing that beats that. And especially up by me, like we got lakes like Lake Walpaw Pack. And um, even Lake Oneida at certain times, they can get crazy. But those lakes get absolutely packed um, during the heat seasons the summertime and it gets absolutely packed and it's almost tough to fish and i know i've told this story on the podcast before about lake oneida but i'm up there with my dad and we were just doing like a weekend fishing trip up there and we get there we launch a boat fish all day we stop to get something to eat and all of a sudden we look out of the bar and over the railing and we just see um cigarette boats one after the other lining up i'm like what's what's going on here next thing you know there's a 200 um boat cigarette race on mm. Lake Oneida and we're leaving the bar and they're coming straight at us. Mm. So <laughs> I was like, dad, hold on. Cause we're going to have to send it over these weeks. Yeah. That's not fun. And it, and it gets busy. I know I, I love Oneida. There's quite a few terms up there and it's really gotten busy over the last five or 10 years. I mean, we fished it 10 or 12 years ago and it was a pretty quiet lake. Um, a lot of walleye guys and perch guys, but now it's a very popular bass lake, obviously a water ski lake, obviously, you know, jet boat, all the different boats are out there. So a lot of these lakes have gotten run over. And so where I live, Fort Loudon Lake is above us and it's right in Knoxville. So it gets a lot of recreational traffic. And right below us is Chickamauga, which gets tons of fishing pressure. And Watts Bar is sort of forgotten between the two. And so it's, it's a, a lot more quiet and just, just a little more peaceful to go fishing on. 
I like it, man. And um, any tips you can share with our listeners about fishing down in Tennessee? Um, certain, certain different times of the uh, year. Um, what do you throw in during the summer months compared to what you're throwing in um, all four seasons? Well, the one thing you realize about a watch bar and these Tennessee river lakes is they really are just rivers. Um, they're called lakes. They got big water, but they're it's all dependent on flow. And a lot of the fishing year round, I don't care if you're out there this week in January or you're out there in July, the most of the bass you'll ever catch will be shallow. They'll be up near laydowns. They'll be very near a dock. They'll be near something visible. Uh, they live in deep water, but there's so many other species in this lake. There's big stripers, big drum, big giant catfish. The bass really are relegated to the banks, especially when they eat. So if a guy likes to just come fishing and fish, you know, old school stuff, go down a bank and throw it a lay down and throw it a dock, this is the kind of lake you do it because that's where you're going to catch those bass. They might live out in that deep waters and live out there, but when they come up to eat, they come up fairly shallow. So no matter what time of year you come down here, if you see some good shoreline cover, you know, a bluff or something, you know, that some chunk rock, that's a place you can catch a bass. So it's pretty simple fishing. Um, but uh, you do have to cover some water. These are big lakes. There's, it's not, there's not bass everywhere. Um, but yeah, when you find a fish, you'll catch some. I like it, man. And then um, real quick, just changing it up a little bit. So in 2003, correct me if I'm wrong, but you won the Open Championship. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that experience. Um, I know that was, you know, I think I was four years old at the time. So tell me a little bit about that experience in that tournament. That was the first Open Champ. So what there is is Bassmaster Opens around the country. And there's three divisions or four divisions, depending on the year. And at that year, it was the first time they brought them all together for a championship. Um, all the top 20 guys from all the divisions came and we met on Toledo Bend and it was, a uh, was supposedly, you know, it was just a really cool turn. It's like a little bit miniature Bassmaster Classic. And I had actually already made the Bassmaster Classic that year by making the top three in Angle of the Year. So the top prize for that was a trip to the Bassmaster Classic, which is a big deal. And I ended up winning the tournament. I won by 18 pounds or something crazy. And uh, fished in some areas that no one had fished. I threw a technique back then. I used to drop shot a lot, and no one really drop shot on Toledo Bend. It was big trees and grass. And people were like, why would you drop shot there? Well, it caught them. And so it was in December. It was a tough time of year. And so, yeah, it was pretty cool to win the first of a, of a tournament of any sort. And then to uh, do it some Western techniques was even cooler, you know, to win, win with a drop shot and stuff like that. So... It was a great tournament. They they now they don't do the championship anymore. I wish they did, but you know, still just making the classic through those is, is a tough tough chore to do. Oh yeah, dude, that's that's pretty cool that you were doing a technique that's completely different than what everyone else is doing, and then you beat everyone by eighteen pounds. Yeah, it was pretty cool because I, I definitely uh, it was my week, and and that's what you hear all the time in bass tournaments. You it's your week. Everything goes right. You don't lose any and. Every spot you pull in, you catch a bigger one and bigger one. And it's just, that's the way it was that week. I mean, I pulled outside the weigh-in the third day with a really big limit, the biggest limit of the tournament. And I caught a four-pounder right outside the weigh-in on a drop shot and called another one. So I was like, man, I can do no wrong. So uh, it, that's that's what it is, is, is your week to catch them. I love it, man. Awesome, John. And it was great having you. And what I like to do at the end of these podcasts is kind of Give you the floor, um, let you tell, you know, shout out anything you want to shout out and let people know how to get in contact with you for your guiding service. 
Well, yeah, I mean, this is show season now. We're going to be doing fishing shows, and then we start in our tournament season. So look for me on Major League Fishing's Bass Pro Tour. Um, it, it'll start this this spring, and, and I'll be traveling the country, hopefully near somebody. Come, come on out, say hi if you see it. Um, if you want to come down to Watts Bar, catch some bass, uh, check it out, johnmurrayfishing.com, and it's got all the info on my guiding. And uh, I do a lot of in, in information trips because yeah you can read a lot see a lot but if you get out there and actually do it like throw a ned rig or actually throw an a rig or throw a bait uh and get confidence and so that i do a lot i love doing educational trips more than just catch bass trips because you know you're gonna keep that for a long time but yeah check out those things and uh hopefully see you out on the water see you see you at a show or at a tournament I love it, John, and it's just great having you on here. And all those links will be dropped down in the description for everyone to check out. So uh, thanks, John, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel, on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well. 